Fellowship Alliance Church in Medford, New Jersey. It's a church where they've been for 30 years, uh, have started that church and grown it to where it is today, about 2,500 people that they minister to every weekend. And we're just so grateful to have had you here this week to minister the word to us uh, through your own uh, personality and your own um, way of bringing home to us the message of Joseph. And we have a couple of gifts for you, so would you both come up here and, Kathy, can you grab those bags there? Yeah. Bring it up for these guys. This one I've been told is Lori's because it's got the ribbon on it. All right, good. And this one is yours. You Thank know, you so much. I didn't know what was in these bags, right? Should I open them up? I had time. Yeah, you can open them up. But I, I walked in today right, and I, I, like I told this. Marty, I said, we need to get you some crown stuff. Yeah. And then I yeah. found out that it's in the bags. Look what yeah, it was did. envious yeah. of his shirt when he's up here playing. Like, I want yeah. to get one of those. Oh, this is so, my colors. Yeah. <laughs> How'd they know? Yeah. Fantastic. Good. Thank you so much. So they're... Marty and Lori are both Crown grads, so I know that they will wear these uh, back home in New Jersey, even though all three of their children graduated from Nyack College, which is, that's okay. I know, I know that's okay. It's close. Great. Let's just have a word of prayer as uh, Marty comes and delivers the word to us uh, today on the life of Joseph. Father, we thank you uh, for what you've done in our lives, in our hearts, in our campus this week uh, through the ministry of your word. Uh, through Marty, and uh, through the presence of him and Lori with us. Thank you for bringing them to us, for uh, their, their devotion to us and their dedication to meet like this with us. And we ask, Lord, that as you are here today, even as we read the Scripture from the very beginning, uh, Lord, you are here, and you are near, and we ask you to speak and that you'd give us ears to hear you um, as, as you do speak to us today. Uh, you are here. You are not. You are speaking. You are not silent. Uh, we thank you for that. Uh, in Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Joe. Amen. Yeah. Students, uh, I really have loved being here. It's fantastic. Um, part of it is because, like, I went here, and it was foundational for me. I know what you're getting here. It's it's really good. Pay attention to school. God has some things for you, just like Joel prayed. You know, the Lord's here and he's not silent. He has things to say to you, hopefully even this morning. Let, let's just review. Now, we've been trying to do the whole life of Joseph, and believe it or not, I'm going to skip right to the end. We're going to leave out a lot of the good parts, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. Remember, we met Joseph. He's 17 years old. And his dad sends him out to check on his brothers, and his brothers take him and sell him to some Ishmaelite traders who are going to Egypt. He ends up down in Egypt. He's bought by a guy named Potiphar, Potiphar takes him, makes him one of his slaves, but then he ends up becoming head of all the other slaves, head of Potiphar's household. Potiphar's wife gets an eye for him and starts coming on to him because he's such a cute little guy. She thinks he's so great, and she, she wants to do something. He won't go there. He keeps resisting temptation. So then she tells all these lies. She gets so upset. She tells these lies to her husband that he did try something when he didn't. So unjustly, he gets thrown by Potiphar into prison. Remember, we've been through all this now. He gets thrown into prison in prison, again, because he's the kind of a person that's always like, hey, what can I do around here? How can I help? You know, give me a mop. I'll clean up. And sure enough, he becomes like head of the prison now. The prison guards put him in charge. And remember the story where it goes next? The baker who the uh, king thought was running a coup or something against him? The baker 
as well as the cupbearer, who's kind of like the butler, they're thrown into prison. They have these dreams. They tell Joseph. Joseph says, well, interpretations are from the Lord. Tell me your dream. Maybe I can help you. He's always looking to help people. Not so self-absorbed. Always looking. There's an amazing faith in God. And sure enough, if God doesn't give him the interpretation, well, the interpretation is the cupbearer. You're going to be going back and get your old job. and Everything's going to be great. Sorry about you, baker. They're going to hang you on a tree. You know, you're done. And that's what happened, remember? So the cupbearer is back working for the king. King has a dream. Pharaoh has this dream, couple of dreams, and they're really to show him a sign. And the cupbearer goes, hey, yeah, that's right. A couple years ago, I had a dream when I was in prison. as a Hebrew kid interpreted it for me. So the king goes and gets Joseph, brings him out. He tells him the dreams, and Joseph tells him the interpretation. Remember that? That's where we kind of left it last night. And all the story has so much to teach us. But then, the part we're going to skip over real fast, which I wish I had more time with you, it's like the most, some of the most dramatic stuff in the Bible. So now, the prediction of the dreams was, there's going to be seven years of plenty, and then seven years of famine. Store up all you can during the years of plenty, and then everybody will be fed during the times of famine. So, not only are the people in Egypt in the famine, but the whole world at that time, and they're all coming to Egypt, which is why Egypt became then the most prosperous nation in the world. And this Hebrew guy is in charge of everything, Joseph. And he's standing there one day when people are coming, exchanging money for food, money for food. You can almost see it. There's like tables. And who walks in the room? His brothers. It says it was so dramatic for Joseph. They didn't know who he was, but he could tell who they were. Then he went in the corner and he cried. He, like, didn't know what to do. He comes up with a plan. His plan is to start testing his brothers. And I don't have time to go into all of it, but there's, it's so fun to read. I hope you read the rest of Genesis. There's all this give and take and back and forth. He accuses them of stealing. They weren't stealing. They're telling them this. He throws them in prison for a few days. He, he, he keeps one of them, sends the other ones back. And when they go back and tell their dad, their dad's going, what's wrong with you guys? You don't, can't do nothing right kind of a thing. They, he really lets them have it. And then he, he says they have to bring Benjamin back, his littlest brother, Benjamin. And like, oh, no, I'm not going to let Benjamin go, Jacob thinks. But eventually they go back. And Benjamin's there. And he tells the brothers, well, now he's going to keep Benjamin. And Judah steps up. And Judah says, no, take me. Well, this breaks his heart. That you guys must have changed. His brothers must have changed, right? Because they were willing to have their little brother, him, dead or sold into slavery. Now they're going to stand up for their little brother, Benjamin. Breaks his heart. Says again, he goes in the corner and he just weeps. And then he comes out and he goes, you guys can't tell, you don't know, but I'm Joseph, your brother. They're like all in shock. They can't believe it. You're Joseph? They can't believe it. And all of a sudden, they start telling each other stories of what, what's going on. He says, guys, I forgive you. It's okay. I forgive you. God had it all worked out. And, and he, they tell him to go back and get their dad. Their dad comes out. They live in a place called Goshen, which is outside of town because Egyptians didn't like Hebrews. They didn't want them living there. So they live outside in Goshen, and there's a peaceful living for quite some time. And then we come to the part we're going to look at today, the last two chapters of Genesis, which are all about how God wants good for us. In fact, one of the reasons we want to look at this is because you know, a deeper life time is when you make real decisions for the Lord. But many of you have made decisions to follow Christ as your Savior. 
you're making decisions, hopefully at a meeting like this, to follow Christ as your Lord. But the Christian life is a lot more than just making decisions. Often in the Bible, it's called a walk, right? It's step by step walking the Lord. You know, why do we preach all the time? Why is the Christian life just going to one service after another service? You ever ask yourself that? Why, why do we preach so much? Why do we study the Bible so much? Why do we do this? It's because the Christian life is a decision after a decision after a decision. It's a step after a step after a step. And you're walking with God literally every day, looking in the Word, trying to hear from Him, kind of like I preached last night. He's here and He's not silent. You can hear Him if you're listening. You can find out what God wants for you. You can listen to God and He'll speak to your heart. How many stories have to be told in the Bible before we'll actually believe this? God wants to speak to you. God wants to guide you. But it's step by step. You don't get it all at once. And so we look in this passage today hoping that we can get some insight maybe into your next step. Maybe you can see it right here in the life of Joseph. I put down the idea of this message, what God means for you is good. You see, I tried to put it in the language of these last two chapters, and you'll see why, especially when we get to chapter 50, but what God means for you is good. In the steps of life, he wants to take you through some really good steps. Boy, do you see it in the life of Joseph. Even though things look tragic at times, even though, though things look difficult, this step-by-step, step, sometimes it's uphill. Sometimes it's easy and downhill. Sometimes it's kind of slow. Sometimes it's kind of fast. But listen to me. Listen to me, please. Most important thing is that you keep stepping. I've been a Christian like over 40 years. I've had friends that quit, quit stepping. And, you know, if, there, if there's one thing I know, if you, if you keep stepping, you'll grow. But if you stop, you get like stunted. It goes from bad to worse. I don't know where you're at in your walk with God. But if I could do anything for you this morning, it would get you to make the next step. And to keep making the next step the next day and the next day. And to try and encourage you like I did in this statement here. It's God means good for you. And I'll show you how that works out. Point one in the outline I have for you today reads like this. We don't have it for the screen, but I'll read it to you. God's morality is good for you. I want to start off by showing you what happens in chapter 49. We won't have time to read it all, but I'll explain it to you. And I'll give you the context first. The context is basically seen in Romans chapter 2 in the New Testament, verses 14 and 15. Because here's what's going on. Jacob, Joseph's dad, is about to die. Calls all the boys in. He's going to put a blessing on them. Sometimes a blessing sounds more like a curse, but it's a blessing. And what he's judging it all upon, upon is what I call a moral code. In the book of Romans, in the New Testament, it says this. For the Gentiles who do not have the law, by nature, do what the law requires. Romans 2, 14 and 15. They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. Did you hear that? A law to themselves, even though they don't have the law. And as you'll notice... This is even before the law is written. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. I don't know if you've ever written, read C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. I highly recommend it. One of my favorite books of all time, C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, is based on this idea. He, he was an atheist who became a Christian. 
an intellectual. And he goes, you know, there's a moral code. I mean, why do people just think some things are right and some things are wrong? Where did we get this from if we just evolved? How do we think this? He says, this is God. He's written a code, a moral code. And what we see going on here in chapter 49 is Jake, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, the, the, these boys that he has, he makes a blessing upon them or tells them how they're not going to get a blessing, all based on the idea of a moral code of how they, he thinks they've done well or they haven't done well. He predicts their future. Let me show you what I mean. Chapter 49, let's look at verse 1. I put it down here as the title of this uh, point that, that God's morality is good for you. When Jacob called his sons and said, excuse, then Jacob called his sons and said, gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. So he's saying, I'm going to predict what's going to happen to you and you and you. So gather around. I'm about to die. I'm going to tell you. It's almost like a prophet, right? And at the end, what he says to all of them, he says this. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This, this is in verse 29. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. Let me summarize. I just wrote it down after studying some commentaries and stuff, what he's basically saying to each, each of his, his own sons. He's saying, fornication can ruin your future, Reuben. Revenge doesn't pay off, Simeon and Levi, combines two together, because of things they've done in their life. Holding to your morals brings honor, Judah. Remember, Judah's the one that stood up. Strong morals bring rest to your soul, Zebulun. Laziness leads to being used as a car. Idolatry will cost you dearly, Dan. Nothing beats perseverance, Gad. Use the gifts wisely God gives you, Asher. Good words will set you free, Nephtali. Those who suffer for righteous, righteous morals will be rewarded, Joseph. And boy, that's his life. Suffering for righteousness, it was rewarded. Cruelty will ruin your life, Benjamin. These things are, are really all based on this idea of a moral code. Um, you can see it so clearly. We, here, here's what I'm trying to say. Here's what this teaches us. And this is a long chapter. I don't have time to read it all. But when you accept God's moral code in your life that he's written on every human being's heart, things will go well with you. When you reject God's moral code in your life, things will not go well. And especially at the judgment day. That's really a concise teaching of what this is teaching. This is before Moses even wrote the laws, the Ten Commandments. He's already making a judgment just based on this moral code that the book of Romans tells us was written on our hearts. And there's only one passage that teaches about this. There's several that do. In other words, I can look at you students and say, you know what's right. You know what's wrong. Sometimes we try and rationalize. Try, sometimes we try, try and explain away sin in our life or habits we're involved in or things we're doing. But you know. And so Jacob's basically warning his sons, encouraging his sons by saying, come on, this is what's going to happen if you don't straighten up. Here's what's going to take place if you don't change your life. I'm telling you, I'm warning you. This is passages like a warning to the 12 tribes, the 12 sons of Jacob. Um, there's an encouragement here and a warning. 
You know, I don't know if, if you're aware of it, but in the culture you and I are in and that you're growing up in, um, a moral code <laughs> is kind of laughed at. I mean, if you listen to the jokes in the movies and on TV, if you hear the statements made, if you watch the way actors and actresses live and people that are famous, it's like moral code. It's almost made, it's not almost, it's completely made fun of and ignored. Morals don't matter. And the Bible clearly teaches, oh, yes, they do, especially this passage. And what's so sad is that there's many Christian students like you that really believe, oh, it doesn't matter. Lord will forgive you. Everything's okay. No. No, it doesn't work that way, students. It doesn't work that way at all. In the New Testament, the book of Galatians says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. And that's what we see going on here. Morals do matter. There's this girl that works in Young Life in northeastern Pennsylvania, her and her husband. You all know what Young Life is? They work with high school students, you know, high school ministry. And um, her and her husband both went to a Christian school like this one, and they got into Young Life work in northeastern Pennsylvania, where Pennsylvania, New York, and New Jersey all come together. Their high school they work in is called Tri-States. And this young mother, a couple of kids, was very frustrated working with high school girls and high school boys because sexually they're so messed up. Some of the girls have been abused. Guys are hooked on pornography. All this stuff. They're like morality. Sexual morality. Was, they were just totally messed up. And she says, my husband and I tell them the story how we remained pure till our wedding night. And they'd look at us like, whoa, you're weird. Like, nobody does that, you know? And like, Morality didn't matter to them. They didn't understand. This makes a huge difference. What you do in college, what you do in high school makes a huge difference for your future. Huge. Don't buy the garbage that morality doesn't matter. Oh, oh yes, it does. This is only one passage that teaches that. Like I said, God's not mocked. So she was so frustrated that she said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to ask a lot of my friends. Friends I went to high school with, friends from a Christian college, to tell their story, how they made it to their wedding night, or did they make it pure to their wedding night? And she put it together in a book. She called the book Uncovered. Where people, in fact, here's the title of the book, Uncovered, subtitle, True Stories of Sex, God, and Grace. You already want to buy the book, right? In here, listen to this. Here's the contents. Here's the, here's the chapters. I gave away a piece of me. I had no self-esteem. I made a big mistake, chapter 3. I married the one who was handpicked for me, chapter 4. I was a typical guy, another chapter. My purity was stolen from me, another chapter. I was willing to wait. I was desperate to keep him. I, shared a, 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 I share a, a gift with him and no other. I, I am valued by God. I told myself that everything was, everyone was having sex. I waited for seven years. My parents' marriage made me in insecure, chapter 13. Chapter 14, I listened to bad advice. I waited, he didn't. She waited, I didn't. I just thought it was what people did. I made a fresh start. I wanted to tell, I want to tell one thing to everyone. I was sexually abused. I'm not crazy, another chapter. 
One snowy night, my life changed forever. I love my girlfriend, but I love God more. Another chapter. I had to learn to trust. I made a pact with my boyfriend. I had to learn to forgive my husband. We, we were so thankful we waited. I didn't want to follow the crowd. And lastly, we can tell you how to live without regret. The girl who accumulated all that is my daughter. I really want you to get this book. It's out there. I brought a hundred of them here. I got the, the publisher to get you down 10 bucks. I can get it for you for 10 bucks. So you go, but Marty, I'm in school. Like, I got plenty of books to read. Hey, listen, this is a book about sex. You're going to want to read this. <laughs> You'll have no problem finding time to read this. 10 bucks, you got 10 bucks. Okay, so you go, I'm already, I don't even have 10 bucks. Okay, you and your roommate buy it. Five bucks. You and a couple of other people buy it. Three bucks. I am so serious about you getting this book. Here's my money right here. All the money in my wallet. You want money? I'll give you money right now this morning. You buy this book. I did this at another college. All the books were sold. Students are coming to me. I'm kidding you not. Weeping. Marty, I got to have that book. You don't understand because it's a hard book to get online. So I got to have that book. You don't understand. I'm like, I felt so bad for him. I said, I'm sorry, I'm out of books. You know? So I brought 100 of them here. I hope I don't go home with any. And literally, you can team up with a few people. Say, hey, you throw in three bucks. How about two bucks? How about a buck? Come on. It's like buying a pizza. Get the book. <laughs> okay. That's my big promo this morning. I seriously will give away every dime I got to make everybody get a book. So buy a book and share it with people. It's a great, great book. Okay, point two. <laughs> Jacob, the dad, dies. We get to the last chapter in the book of Genesis. And here's how it starts. Chapter 50. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And, and Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his, his, his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming back then. And the Egyptians wept for him 70 days. The Egyptians wept for him even? Yeah, it's amazing. Now look all the way to verse 15. Here it tells us an amazing thing happened. Look at this. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him. So they're thinking, oh, he's just been nice to us because dad's still alive. Now that dad's dead, whoa, he's going to pay us back for selling him into slavery. I just know it's going to happen. So they're talking amongst themselves. They're all worried that he's going to get him back now. He's going to take out revenge on him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave his command before he died, saying to jo say it to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of God for your father's sake. I don't really believe that their dad said that. They just said, hey, dad told, uh, wanted us to tell you to be really nice to us <laughs> like, you know, and forgive us for all we did. Dad didn't say that, and Joe knew it. It says, Joseph wept when they spoke to him. He's a very emotional guy, and you can see why, because of some of the stuff he went through. 
and he just starts weeping. He's brokenhearted. Like, you guys still think that? His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servant. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for I, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they, as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your, and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Wow. Notice what he says here in, 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 in this verse. He says, for am I in the place of God? They're worried about he's going to get revenge on them. It reminds me in the book of Romans. In, in, in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 19, it says this. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave, leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. It's almost like that's the code that Joseph lived by. Hey, revenge, that's not my thing. That's God's problem. God will take care of what my brothers did to me. He'll make it right. I don't have to make it right. And so that's why he says to them, hey guys, you're worried about me attacking you? Am, am I in the place of God? That's God's job. I don't know. If you've got anger towards somebody in your life, maybe it's even your brothers. Maybe it's your sister. Maybe it's your mom and dad. Maybe it's somebody that abused you, someone that hurt you. I'm begging you. I'm telling you. Read the story of Joseph. Give it up. Vengeance is mine. I'll repay. Okay, it's totally unjust. He never got even with his brothers. Never. He just, and he had full right and authority to do so. He, he could have killed them all. No problem. No one would have said a thing. He just says, no, not mine. I'm not in the place of God. And then he says one of the most amazing statements ever made in Scripture. When he says the words, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Seriously, do you hear that? You hear what he's saying? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God's sovereign will over all that happens in the world is for my good and your good. Even evil? You meant it for evil, but God uses evil for good? Students, if you can't accept that reality, which is taught not just here, but throughout the Bible, that God is sovereign and he even uses evil for good, it's going to be really hard to be a Christian. That God can use evil for good is absolutely essential in your walk, step by step, when maybe evil happens to you like it did to Joseph. Or maybe your own brother and sister betray you. Listen, I've been a pastor for 33 years. Even Christians betray Christians and betray pastors. People stab you in the back. It happens. It's human nature. Forgive them. Let go of it. And realize God's sovereign plan can control everything, even evil, and work it for good. Yes, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. I hope you never forget that statement. That's one of the most powerful statements, I think, in the whole Bible. But it's precisely where we have trouble, right? accepting that reality, that that's true. Oh, I can't see the clock. No clock today. That's, I have a lot of time. <clears throat> I'm almost out of time. 
I read a philosopher one time. His name was Alvin Plantinga. He is a teacher, I think, at a Christian school. Maybe some people here know who he is. And he was trying to explain this to his students about this idea of God even using evil for good and how sometimes we just cannot see what God's doing. You can't understand it. And he says there's a time of just accepting it. And he used this illustration because he used to like to go camping uh, like up in the north. And he knew what it was like to like go camping in northern Minnesota or in, in Canada. <clears throat> and if you've been there like I've been there, you know some of the dilemmas you run into. And he says, so I got a little pump tent. He says, imagine, I open my little pump tent up and I go, hey, look inside the pump tent. I can tell you by looking inside the pump tent, there are no St. Bernard's in my pump tent. And I'd put a picture of St. Bernard on the screen. I had one for you, but they don't have So he says, and the reason I'd be pretty sure there's no St. Bernard's in my pup tent is because St. Bernard's are quite large. Remember, big dogs. And he says, my tent is quite small. So when I tell you there's probably no St. Bernard's in my pup tent, it's most likely I'm correct. Because if there was one, I probably wouldn't miss it. He says, but, and if you've camped up in the north, you know like I know, there's these little bugs called noceums. And you can't see them until they bite you and they sting. He says, if I open up my little pump tent and go, I look inside and I say, hey, there's no no in my pump tent. And I had a picture of a no for you. It looks kind of like that. <laughs> you can't see them. He says, so it's very light, unlikely, very likely that when I tell you there's no no in my pump tent, that eh, there very well could be no in my pump tent because you can't see them. He says it's the same with God. And here was his conclusion. And now the question is whether God's reason, if any, for permitting such evils are more like St. Bernard's or more like Noceums. Given that God does have a reason for permitting these evils, why think we would be the first to know given that he is <laughs> omniscient, knowing everything, which is what that means. He's totally omniscient, God knows all, and given our very limited intellectual abilities and our strong limitations, it isn't at all surprising that his reasons escape us. You're not God. You can't figure it out. The smartest student here can't figure it out. Students, this is a very important point, and basically the end of the message today and my time with you. If you will hold on to this truth, even if someone means it for evil, God, God means it for good. He's totally sovereign. He totally means good for you. Don't you see it? That's the whole life of Joseph. He believes all the time. Sold into slavery, God means it for good. You become a prisoner, God means it for good. Your brothers are betraying you, they're coming back. You know, he misses his dad and mom, all this stuff. God means it for good. God's going to use this in your life. I'm hoping that this morning there's some students here that will re realize, yeah, God means it for good. And I'm going to trust God. That's one of the things I love about this book I so hope you buy on the way out. Is, is it telling you that? Wait till your wedding night. 
Listen, folks, just, just to come back to that issue of sex, because I know it's a big issue in college, especially in our day and age, in our sexually saturated culture. It is so worth it to wait. If God invented sex, then it follows that the greatest sex one can have is God's way. Probably no one here is married, any of the students, there might be a few, but most of you aren't married. <laughs> you, you've never had guilt-free sex if you've had sex. You've only had an imitation of what real sex is supposed to be, God's way. Two people, look at the book of Genesis, when it was invented. And the two shall become one. Sexual oneness, physical oneness, emotional oneness, spiritual oneness. That's what marriage is supposed to be. Don't settle for an imitation. Don't settle for the fake the devil offers. Go for the real thing. Trust him. God means it for good. Let's stand together. Lord, I come to you in the name of Jesus on behalf of every student here, thanking you so much that they've been listening to me so attentively and wanting to follow you. And I pray, Lord, you would use this book in their life, you would use this decision in their life, and that today, maybe you could pray one prayer with me. Would you pray one prayer with me and just say in your heart, Lord, I want to be like Joseph. I want to be like Joseph. I don't want to fake it. I don't want to be a two-faced, wishy-washy, shallow Christian. Lord, I want to believe you'll work all things for good in my life. I want to believe even when others might mean it for evil against me. You mean it for good. Even when they're literal evil and even the temptation of the devil coming at me, you mean it for good for me to stand firm and me to follow you. So, Lord, I'm making a decision, and I'm asking you, make me like Joseph. Wow, does our world need students like you that are like Joseph. Please don't settle for anything less. I know I'm just an old guy. But I'm telling you on the basis of what I've lived and what I've seen, good decisions and bad decisions, you need to be like Joseph. So make that decision today. Read this story again and again. Hold to the commitments and the, and, and the decisions you've made and walk after the Lord. So God, I dedicate each student to you right now. And all those who in their hearts are praying this prayer that I've asked them to pray, Lord, make me like Joseph. In the name of Jesus Christ, I'm trusting you to keep reminding me and working this into my life by the power of your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Say amen with me. Amen. Okay, go buy a book.